0: This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, preparing for the next pandemic.
1: We can be better and better prepared. So are we going to have every threat, have a drug and a vaccine and a diagnostic for every threat. That'd be a tall order. But boy, we should have a lot more of them.
0: Getting ready for the inevitable when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints.
2: Two-thirds of people who are released from incarceration are then re-arrested within a few years. The incarceration epidemic. Then... Every major organ and system within the body... And every process within the brain is wonderfully enhanced by sleep when we get it and is demonstrably impaired when we don't get enough. The many interconnected benefits of getting restful
0: sleep. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station and subscribe and listen to shows anytime on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. The COVID-19 pandemic in some ways should be no surprise. Scientists have been warning about the possibility of a pandemic for decades. Usually, they talked about the flu, swine flu, bird flu, or alphabet soups like H1N1. Whenever a previously unseen flu started to circulate, experts worried that we weren't prepared. Now, a global pandemic is here, but it's not the flu and we weren't ready.
2: Certainly, I think scientists for a long time have worried that a virus like COVID-19 would come into our population and we wouldn't be prepared for it. Having said that, there are so many potential pathogens out there uh, that I don't believe... Anyone would have expected a coronavirus to be the one that caused this problem.
0: That's Dr. Dennis Ruby, chief scientific officer of Sega Technologies, a pharmaceutical firm focused on health security and emerging infectious diseases.
2: It's clear that we needed to have diagnostics. Having a vaccine available would have blunted this to begin with. And certainly having antiviral medicines to treat those that have been infected would be most useful. We now appreciate just what a huge economic and personal toll something like this takes. So I anticipate we'll be investing in these type of countermeasures for other viruses. I think the science has progressed to the point where we can use rational drug design. We can do a better job of putting things on the shelf and in the freezers so that if we're confronted with something like this, perhaps a different virus down the road, we'll be better ready to uh, deal with it. I've worked
1: in pandemic preparedness, as I mentioned. I was at NIH in 2001 when we had SARS and Ebola. And I think we have incrementally gotten better at pandemic preparedness. And when I say better, I do point to funding, which is critical here, that as a nation and as a global community, each one of those did result in an increase in some of the funding and the innovation and the tools that we had. What it didn't do was make a step change and really increase our preparation.
0: Dr. Phil Gomez established the NIH's vaccine production program in the early 2000s. Today, he's CEO of Siri Technologies.
1: It really gets back to it's a very low risk that something like COVID-19 happens, but a very big impact. And I think as humans, we struggle in understanding risk and the concept of high impact, low frequency events or something that just physiologically it seems like we all struggle with and it's so easy to move on to the problem that's at hand whether it's you know healthcare or jobs or whatever it might be that we unfortunately didn't make the big investments not only the human health impact has been difficult but the economic impact has been devastating we always in the field of pandemic preparedness i feel like we've always talked about that but it is really evident in covid 19 and boy we need to redouble our efforts to make sure we're prepared the next time around.
0: But how do you do that with so many pandemic candidates on the horizon? Not only the various kinds of flu, but also diseases like Zika, SARS, and MERS. We have to be ready for all of them. But when we hear about the danger of each one as it emerges, and then they all turn out to be nothing, Ruby admits the public may think scientists are the boy who cried wolf.
2: I think there's a bit of that that goes on because, of course, over the last decade, we've heard about a number of viruses that are threats to our population. You mentioned MERS. You mentioned SARS. There was the outbreak of Ebola with a few cases in the U.S. There was Zika. But At the end of the day, those did not cause the type of problems that were forecast. So now that we have one that actually lived up to its potential, I hope we're not burned out on it and that we pay attention and both deploy public health measures as well as develop medicines. Because if you look at the burden this pandemic has put on our society, it is unacceptable.
0: Ruby thinks we may have learned our lesson, that public health is a matter of pay me now to get ready or pay a lot more later.
2: I think one of the things we're learning certainly is the importance of diagnostics. That's something I've often tried to convince the federal officials that they need to stockpile them. Because if you get an outbreak of unexpected infections, you have to know what that virus is, who has it, who doesn't have it, so you can effectively deploy your countermeasures to blunt the epidemic. And I anticipate having seen the difficulties we've had with testing for COVID-19, that more resources will be devoted to that. Likewise, I think for both drugs and vaccines, there will be a renaissance, if you will, on research in this area. The hard part is to predict what the next virus coming into our population will be. We've always worried about influenza. Now we have to worry about coronavirus. There are several other families that people have traditionally thought might be the next pandemic. So. It'll be incumbent upon us to come up with a priority list of pathogens and start to develop medicines to protect against those.
0: SARS and MERS have more importance now than you might think. They're both coronaviruses, like the one that causes COVID-19. Health security experts think about families of viruses a lot in hopes that a successful approach for one virus will work for another. Still, producing a vaccine for one coronavirus is a long way from making a vaccine that will cover all of them. Coronaviruses cause about 20% of all cases of the common cold, and we sure don't have a cure for that.
2: I don't think anybody with certainty can predict that we're going to get a broadly protective coronavirus vaccine. I mean, the scientific paradigm is the common coronavirus that we see every year and catch holds from does not induce long-term immunity. Whether or not COVID-19 vaccines will do so remains to be tested. And of course, SARS and MERS, they disappeared from the human population before those vaccines were taken to completion. They certainly work in animal models, but many things work in animal models. Whether or not they would have worked in the human population to provide long-term immunity is anyone's guess.
0: In thinking and preparing for the next pandemic, experts also give a lot of consideration to some of the scourges of the past. Both Ruby and Gomez have worked a lot on smallpox, which, if it were to return, would make COVID-19 look small.
2: An attack, either natural or coming in from the environment of smallpox, would be infinitely worse. Smallpox is more infectious than COVID-19. Smallpox has a long incubation period. It's about 14 days from the time you come in contact with a virus before you show any symptoms. So you can imagine in modern society with air travel, cars, etc., after an initial infection, the virus would be out everywhere. It's estimated it would actually be global by the time we found out about it. And the severity of the infections of smallpox is much greater. About 30% of the people who contract smallpox die. And all the people who contract smallpox have morbidity. You've seen the pictures in books of people with the pox. There's disfiguring everywhere that there's a sore, that crust will fall off and you'll have a scar. So it would have great psychological damage in our population as well.
0: Scientists and federal officials often collaborate on what are called tabletop exercises, drawing up scenarios and what the outcomes of expected responses would be. In the case of a smallpox release, Ruby says the results of a recent exercise were devastating.
2: There was an unknown pathogen that was deployed by bioterrorist in Fiji, I believe. And they went through the whole, I thought, relatively realistic scenario about how long it took before somebody... Noticed there was some infections, identified it, deployed countermeasures, but to make a long story short, the pathogen of interest turned out to be smallpox, and in their scenario, this virus went global, and it literally affected the entire uh, world before it was never really was brought into check, other than the human population uh, learned to start to coexist with it. But it'd be a really horrible pandemic if we were to ever suffer for one.
0: But if smallpox has been eradicated, why worry about it? It doesn't exist anymore in the natural world. But Ruby says that doesn't mean it doesn't exist at all.
2: It is in two known repositories, one at the Centers for Disease Control and another in a high containment lab in Russia. It is believed that other stocks of virus exist in rogue states that have never been destroyed. So certainly there is a source of live virus out there that could be obtained if you had a mind to do so. The second way that you could do so is with modern synthetic biology. The sequences of smallpox, a number of smallpox strains have been published, and you could take and create this artificially. And this has actually been done in principle by a group of scientists in Canada that took the sequence of horsepox, which is closely related to smallpox, and ordered and synthesized together a number of small fragments of DNA to form a fully infectious virus. So they basically created a blueprint that someone could follow to create smallpox de novo if they wanted to.
0: Biological terrorism is definitely something health security experts have to plan for. And unfortunately, Gomez says that possibility is greater now than it might have been six months ago.
1: Nefarious players have probably looked at the COVID-19 outbreak and thought that in the U.S. we would have the mechanism to be able to stop an infectious disease and clearly we've shown that we haven't and people that think about how to disrupt economies and disrupt players might think now more carefully about using biological type threats, which would be very unfortunate. So Unfortunately, we have to be super diligent to make sure that someone doesn't either purposefully or accidentally have a release of this and cause something that would be catastrophic.
0: But something catastrophic could also happen in nature to rekindle smallpox. A close cousin of the virus could mutate into smallpox from one of the several related viruses like horsepox. Fortunately, smallpox is one disease that Gomez says they're reasonably well prepared for.
1: In the toolbox, there's a couple vaccines. There's our therapeutic And so those are in a warehouse that should smallpox reemerge, we're really ready to get out there and fight. And that's an example of being prepared for a class of viruses. So an interesting component of smallpox is, just like SARS and MERS, smallpox is part of a family of orthopox viruses. And smallpox was devastating in the last century, but there's a disease called monkeypox, which is a cousin of smallpox, not as deadly, it has up to 10% mortality, But since we stopped immunizing for smallpox, it's starting to circulate in Central Africa. There are cases that are showing up repeatedly. There have been people infected with smallpox showing up in London and Israel and Singapore. And the vaccines, and importantly for us, our drug works against monkeypox, just like it does against smallpox. And we're seeking approval. So there's an example where By getting ready for smallpox, we have now gotten ready for the cousins of smallpox that might emerge.
0: And with all these possibilities, public health experts need to be prepared for everything. Ruby says the next pandemic could be influenza, or it could be a Nipah or Hendra virus from Southeast Asian bats. We simply don't know. But Gomez says it's not a matter of if, but when. And then we have to be ready. The good news is it's not like
1: we have to think it's a complete shot in the dark. There are definitely some bets. And if we make more substantial investments in preparedness, we can be better and better prepared. So are we going to have every threat, have a drug and a vaccine and a diagnostic for every threat? That'd be a tall order. But, boy, we should have a lot more of them because with SARS and MERS and COVID-19 and Ebola and West Nile and Zika and pandemic influenza, we've certainly figured out, that as a planet, we've become super mobile. And the reality of being super mobile is things carry along with us, and we need to be prepared for this.
0: You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. I'm Reed Pence.
2: With everybody centered at home these days, maintaining one's health and a healthy outlook are critical. When each day delivers a certain sameness, snacking can become a comforting diversion. That makes healthy choices all the more important. Registered dietitian Courtney Romano is the health advisor for the California Table Grape Commission.
1: When it comes to snacking, fresh grapes are always a great choice. They are healthy and hydrating with a juicy pop of flavor and always ripe and ready to eat when you buy them. A smart alternative to processed snacks that come with added salt, fat, and sugar. Try freezing grapes for an all-natural frozen treat. They're like mini sorbets.
2: Grapes from California are in season now. Grapes of all colors, red, green, and black are a natural source of beneficial antioxidants and other polyphenols, which research suggests contribute to a healthy heart. Visit GrapesFromCalifornia.com for more summer cool ideas.
1: As patients throughout the country begin to return to their allergist's office, a top priority is keeping everyone safe from COVID-19. Allergists are getting in touch to let their patients know about protocols that keep people safe and socially distanced. While some visits can happen remotely with telemedicine, Dr. J. Allen Meadows, president of the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, says that's not always possible. Controlling allergy and asthma symptoms is as important now as ever, and patients on allergy shots must come to the office. Other types of treatments that are best done in person include life-saving biologics, allergy testing, oral challenges for food allergies, and new patient visits. Most allergists have created strict procedures for in-person visits to ensure the safety of their patients. For example, masks are mandatory and remote check-in patients can wait in their cars instead of the waiting room and may even receive some services in some practices in the parking lot. Find out more at ACAAI.org. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Radio Health Journal is a production of Media Tracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of
0: Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal... So we're calling it Hothouse Earth because that's what it looked like. It's not impossible for life, but it would be very, very challenging for the current sort of humanity to live. Predictions of what Earth will look like if temperatures keep going up. Then, do you feel like a fraud despite your accomplishments and successes? You're not alone. If you were raised by humans, you have
2: statistically a much better chance of growing up to have imposter feelings.
0: All that and more on Radio Health Journal.